All right. Hi there. My name is Greg Sutherland, uh, and this is my wife, Jennifer. Um, and I'm going to share with you our story tonight. So uh, before we get going, I'd like to just say a quick prayer. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to gather together to worship you. Help this story, it's your story, um, be told with grace and love. Help us get out of the way, and you do a mighty thing in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. So hi, my name is Greg. I'm recovering from pride, selfishness, and a lack of trust in God. Hi, my name is Jennifer, and I'm recovering from divorcing and remarrying, being controlling, and having fears and anxieties like failure and abandonment. So uh, we hope that our broken story leads you closer to Christ tonight. Romans 3.23 says we've all sinned, and so as we share this today, it's from a place of humility and an awareness that we all fall short of such a glorious God. Romans 3.10 reminds us that although we have experienced much healing, Ultimately, we are only righteous because of what Christ has done for us. We are not here to share some get-fixed quick story, but we are here to share what the power of Christ's grace and mercy has done in our lives, and we know um, he can do the same for you and your marriage as well. So I was born in Dallas uh, to a mom and dad going through a separation and eventual divorce within the first year of my life. I was the youngest of three children being raised by a newly single mother. My dad had left her for another woman he'd met through his work. He married her within the next year, and they had my stepbrother shortly thereafter. So we became a blended family almost immediately. Divorce was the norm. My mom remarried when I was three, and we moved to Rockwall with my new stepdad, who was an ex-Navy SEAL. Uh, he was what you'd call outdoorsy. He took us hunting and fishing and immediately took on the role of being our dad, and we honored him with that title from day one at his request. He hadn't had any children of his own, so he took us and treated us as his own. I remember attending church with my mom and my brother and sister at a small Methodist church about a mile down the street from our house. It was so small that it was literally a double-wide trailer. My stepdad never attended church with us and isolated and thought he was strong enough to do life without needing the help of other people there. My mom and siblings attended regularly, and I recall that I accepted Christ at an early age and was baptized in my elementary years. The three of us attended youth group there. Uh, I grew to love the Lord more and more as he blessed me with strong community and friendships. I also attended youth camps in the summer that were some of my most memorable times of my life, helping me to understand the need for community and God's love for me. I had another life, though, as well. I visited my dad and my stepmother and my younger brother on the first and third weekends of the month as we would travel to their home about 45 minutes away in Dallas. Christ was not part of this family at all. Conflict was common in the house as I watched my dad and stepmother verbally spar almost weekly. Healthy conflict resolution was not modeled because they weren't following Christ. Back at home, I also watched my mom and stepdad in frequent conflict. He demanded respect and compliance at all times. My mother complied, swept everything under the rug, and gave in to his wants and desires. I wasn't learning how to handle conflict well or with much grace. I was learning how to be a people pleaser. I was starting to become passive-aggressive and also quite the chameleon. Well, being the oldest of three, the two youngest being boys and close in age, I was the typical rule-following, structure-craving mini-mom one can expect. Our parents stayed married until my dad went to be with the Lord in May of 2018. 
My dad traveled a lot and was abused as a child. So what little time we spent together, he didn't really verbally affirm me or give appropriate father-daughter touch because he wanted to be above board and didn't want to give the appearance of doing anything evil like his dad did to him and his siblings. Meanwhile, my brothers and I were so close in age that we were all in the same kind of circle and friends and peers. Um, And I heard all of their critiques and objectifying remarks of young women. Some of them were even my friends. I thought this was just how young men are and what young women were supposed to be for, objects to look pretty and amuse men. Well, I wanted to be on the good side of those thoughts of all those young men, so I sought affirmation and loving touch from most everyone around me. This neediness began in fifth grade and never stopped until early 2018. Jesus was knocking at my heart's door and nudging me. John 4.14 was um, trying to tell me that um, he alone is living water and he alone can cause me to never thirst after affirmation and the approval of man again. I just wouldn't sit still long enough to listen. And now I know that God wanted me to take the time to be still so that I can know um, that he's God. See Psalms 46.10. Although we attended church almost every Sunday growing up without fail, and I walked the burgundy carpet aisle when I was five, and then right up the stairs for baptism right afterwards, I still didn't really have a deep relationship with Christ. He remained someone I ran to when I needed something, and usually that something was for my own comfort or the comfort of friends. Um, you can see James 4.3. Um, I really didn't understand for a long time what abiding with Christ daily meant, that he could be enough, and that his grace was sufficient. See 2 Corinthians 12.9. Anyway, I was in and out of all sorts of harmful dating relationships, which were very physical in nature and kept me doing everything I could to make the man of the month happy. I prayed often while while I was uh, going to bed at night, but I continued to hide my sin. I isolated. I stayed silent. And when I would finally be still and fall asleep, I, or before I could fall asleep, I felt very shameful, a lot of guilt, and a lot of hurt. Um, in Psalms 32.3, King David states, While I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. I would cry often as a teen, but no one knew it because I didn't seek help. I now know God was weeping and listening the whole time with me. He stored up each tear of mine, and he was always near each time my heart was broken. I could feel the tug of the Holy Spirit urging me to repent and turn toward God, and then very quickly it would be replaced by someone claiming to be Prince Charming again. Proverbs 26.11 says, Like a dog that returns to vomit, so is a fool who repeats folly. That was me for a very long time. So I attended college at the University of Texas at Austin, and my older sister was a senior when I was a freshman. She did her best to show me how to party and country dance and just get by in school. I joined a fraternity and quickly left behind my Christian foundation and friends and started my worldly living of drinking and promiscuity and pleasure-seeking. The Bible says getting drunk leads to debauchery. We should instead be filled with the Spirit. That's Ephesians 5.18. Debauchery is indulgence in pleasures and intemperance, and this definitely defined this season of my life. I never found a church in my years there, and I drifted far from my Heavenly Father during college. After attending the University of Oklahoma, I moved to Tulsa, where I got connected with what appeared to be Christian people. I attended church as a mid-20-something person, but I still went out and partied with those same church-going people on the weekends. Some were even from the many Christian colleges that were around that area of Tulsa. I just kept thinking that God was a distant being who could never really meet the needs of a young, single woman. 
I knew he was loving and all, but I wasn't surrendering everything to him. In fact, I wasn't really surrendering much at all. By this time, I had money to spend on things like vanity, alcohol, and indulgent road trips. It was in my last year at, Austin, at UT Austin that I met my first wife. We dated three years, had our first child, and moved to Dallas for the big job. We completed our family with our second child shortly thereafter. I stayed busy in sales, chasing the dollar. She got busy starting her own business. I was focused on my job and then my kids, not my wife or my Heavenly Father. I turned to porn during this difficult season of my life instead of Jesus or my spouse. We had many issues which we consistently swept under the rug as my pride and stubbornness took center stage in our relationship. We also were not living authentically with our community group at church. We were going through the motions only. Well, I ended up marrying one of those many men of the month and having three children. He and I dated outside the bounds of Christian courting, and so naturally we had more challenges than the average marriage. We had not built any kind of godly foundation, and without Christ we can do nothing good, right? John 15, 5 says. Even Paul says Christ, um, even, even Paul says we will have trouble in marriage, 1 Corinthians 7, 28. So that marriage wasn't really a testimony to Christ and his bride to begin with. He did cheat and had a porn addiction and wasn't willing to go to work for his family. And my career had taken center stage because as an outside sales professional, I got plenty of attention from any other sitting duck of a man, one who was also starved for an ego stroke from any other woman passing by. I grew more and more bitter at my husband for cheating and still wasn't fully surrendered to Christ. And so I ended up cheating out of revenge. We had no marital boundaries surrounding friends of the opposite sex and were not living a guarded life at all. Proverbs 4.23 tells us to guard our heart vigilantly. I was so far off from looking like a Christian at this time. And um, in preparing for this, I found these verses, Romans 12, 9 through 21. And so I was just going to read them first as they are. And then in a minute, I'm going to put like what it would be if I read them to my spouse and what I should have looked like. So um, this is Romans 12, 9 through 21. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so it wasn't living like that at all. And if had I known this, to me, this sounds like a good uh, husband-wife verse. And so I was just going to read it as if I were talking about my spouse, um, especially a spouse that isn't being very kind to you at that time. Let love be genuine for your spouse. Abhor what is evil. 
Hold fast to what is good for your spouse. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor to your spouse. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit for your spouse and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope for your spouse. Be patient in tribulation with your spouse. Be constant in prayer with your spouse. Contribute to the needs of your spouse and seek to show him or her hospitality. Bless him or her if they persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice when they rejoice and weep when they weep. Live in harmony with your spouse. Do not be haughty towards your spouse, but associate with them as lowly would. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay, don't repay your spouse evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable to your spouse in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with your spouse. Do not avenge yourself against your spouse, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your spouse is hungry, if, if he's an enemy even, or she is, feed him. If he or she is thirsty, give them a drink of water. By so doing, you will potentially heap burning coals, unfortunately, on their head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I wish that I would have found those, or they would have been real to me at that point. Um, and so, let me get back to where I was. Where am I? Oh, we're with Greg. So, my, my heart grew uh, more and more cold as I continued to confide in non-Christians who told me to leave. Misery loves company, right? <clears throat> those same people seemed to enjoy the bad news and the gossip of my home life. I felt validated in what the enemy was saying to me, and it was at this time that I started instant messaging frequently with a colleague at work. We soon became good friends, and I even learned that she was going through a really hard time with her husband, so I stepped up to give her some support, a listening ear, and my worldly advice of how she deserved better. An affair developed. So back to me not repenting, staying hard-hearted, and ultimately cheating. I kicked my ex out of the house with a five-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old there. I told him I was sick of him cheating, looking at porn, and abandoning his role as a provider for the family. I told him I could not forgive him. I felt indignant and bitter. After all, he had done. I bought into the lie that I deserved so much more than him. I wasn't thinking about him, my children, or the community at large who would be devastated by my own selfishness. I gave up, and it was all about me at this point. He was begging, to, begging me to stay, and I said no. I was not practicing Matthew 18.22 or Ephesians 4.32. I had met someone at work while we were separated, and I fell into a long affair. I dated off and on with others, but I sure did idolize this other guy, and he was even married. I had gone off the rails. Was there any hope left for me? The shame and guilt I felt again was insurmountable. I felt I was dying a slow death, and I was, according to Romans 6.23. My kids were now back and forth constantly. I lost almost all of my friends from our church, and I still couldn't stop. My old pattern of hiding sin and isolating and not seeking help had its grip on me. I just kept telling everyone I left him because he kept cheating on me while I was actually cheating with another man who was married. Our affair continued to develop. Sin had entangled me. Since I refused to confess my sin and turn away, my whole being, body, mind, and heart were wasting away in torment every second of every day. 
That's Psalms 32.3. My ex had her fair share of issues as well, and I kept believing the lie that marriage shouldn't be this hard. I was running from my sins and not persevering. I was not throwing off everything or everyone that hindered me, including my affair partner and all the naysayer friends and the sin that had entangled me. I did not run with perseverance the race marked out for us as Christians and as a committed spouse should. See, Matthew, uh, see Hebrews 12.1. Confession brings healing and oneness, and instead of living out that truth, another truth prevailed, which is Numbers 32.23, which is, your sins will find you out. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Hebrews 4.13. Still I chose not to honor God and stay and fight as I had convinced myself that the grass is greener on the other side with my affair partner, Jennifer. I thought she could fill the void in my heart that I so desperately wanted filled in my life. Only Christ can do that. After a costly divorce, I told my children that I was dating somebody new and I wanted them to meet her. Well, uh, this man, Greg, was my affair partner. We got married in 2014, and we have been working on blending our families and getting healing for our children ever since. But guess what? God isn't, was not on the other side of the second marriage, shaming or blaming us for our sinful actions. Because we were truly repentant, he meets us daily with steadfast love. Yes, there are still lasting consequences of our sin and much devastation caused by our selfishness and our actions apart from Christ, but he keeps redeeming even those. Romans 5.8 reminds us that God demonstrates his love for us and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And Romans 10.9 is very clear that we need only confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that he's the, he is Lord and we will be saved. And finally, I'm not walking around in shame and guilt because Romans 8.1 says that there is no condemnation or shame or blame for us who are in Christ. God softened my heart, and we were repentant. We knew we had to do something different, or we would fall right back into our past sin patterns again. We decided to truly surrender our selfish wants and desires because we hungered and thirst for righteousness. Finally, he freed me from the guilt and shame of my choices, my sin. God was there, calling us back to the flock if we would just listen to him. We heard about re-engage in January of 2016 and decided this was the step we needed to take towards reconciling with God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled, said Jesus in Matthew 5, 6. Now I've been abiding in Christ daily, and I expect much less in my spouse. It is not his place to fill the God-shaped hole in my heart. I've learned that no man can fulfill me like Jesus can. I still struggle at times with fears, but I'm quicker to cast those over to Christ instead of dumping them on my husband. See 1 Peter 5, 7. Throughout this healing journey, I've learned that I am not in control of my children, my husband, or others because God is sovereign and ultimately in control. His ways are higher than my ways, Isaiah 55, 9. Trusting in the Lord with all my heart instead of man continues to bring healing to me, Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Getting over the guilt of my transgressions has not been easy. The consequences of my sin are lifelong. Only Christ can completely restore my brokenness through abiding in him daily. The Bible says there is no condemnation or guilt for those who are in Christ. Romans 8, 1 again. There's no sin too big for the cross. So if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. John eight thirty six. Meditating on these truths keep me free from guilt. 
We hope that our broken story can help others seek the Lord rather than seeking others for fulfillment. He is faithful to answer those who call on him. He wants you to stay in the current covenant you made with him and your spouse, and your kids need you to stay to teach them perseverance and who their source should be in times of trouble and in times of blessings. I urge you to shut all the windows and lock the doors in your marriage. Divorce is not the answer. The grass is green where you water it. Hardships and dry seasons are inevitable. One thing I have learned is that I'm the problem, not my spouse. Truly abiding with God daily has changed me completely and makes the hard times in this marriage seem like more of an opportunity than a hardship to become a victim to. Uh, This past summer, devastation hit our family when one of our children shared that my ex had been grievously abusing her for a very long time. Without Christ healing as a family over the last five years, we would have handled this situation much differently. But James 1-2 has informed us to count it all joy. He gives us peace in this world, and we shouldn't be surprised by the fiery ordeal. 1 Peter 4-12 says, My three children now live with us full-time, and we see that as one of the redemptions from God. God turns everything for the good for those who love him, Romans 8-28 says. So he's knocking at your heart's door daily, and he will never stop. He wants a personal and intimate relationship with you. He wants to be your rock and your all-in-all. Hebrews 13.5 says, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Your spouse is broken just like you are. He or she can never fulfill you completely like your soul desires to be fulfilled. You were meant to be fulfilled by your creator. It's never too late to call on Jesus and change both your life and the generations to come in your family. Jen and I both agree that we would have never left our former spouse had we been abiding with Christ daily. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. God wants to meet you where you are today, whether you've been married three times before or you're still holding on to your first covenant you made. Stay and be still and know that he is God. Thank you.